Welcome to Verified Rx, your prescription for success. Brought to you by the Vizian Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence. The expanding market for long-acting injectable bupivacaine gives clinicians multiple additional local anesthetic options. Dr. Carrie Schwartz and Dr. John Schoen, both senior clinical managers in the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence, join us to discuss a recent Vizient expert panel on the topic. I'm Gretchen Brummel, Pharmacy Executive Director with the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence, and your program host. Throughout this episode, we refer to liposomal bupivacaine as Expirel and bupivacaine and meloxicam as Zenrelef. Welcome, Carrie, and welcome back, John. Gretchen, thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Gretchen. It's good to be back. Carrie, our listeners know John from previous podcasts. Tell us about your background, your role at Vizient, and involvement in this panel. Gretchen, I am excited to join everyone today as the newest member of the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence Evidence-Based Medicine team. I've been a pharmacist for over 20 years, practicing primarily in drug and medical information. After getting my Master of Public Health degree, concentrating in epidemiology and biostatistics, my most recent role was in formulary management, coordinating a large academic health systems pharmacy and therapeutics P&T committee, where I led everything from evidence reviews to evaluating the impact and clinical outcomes of formulary changes. Well, it sounds like you have a lot of experience that sets you up for success with this kind of work. What's been happening in the long-acting bupivacaine market? A lot has been happening in this space. Bupivacaine is an anesthetic used to produce local, regional, and spinal analgesia for a variety of procedures. Bupivacaine works by prohibiting the initiation and conduction of nerve impulses through changes in sodium ion permeability. Pharmacokinetics are largely dependent upon dose and route of administration. With local infiltration, the onset of action is rapid within minutes, and the half-life is under three hours. This translates to a short duration of effect, a few hours. The duration of effect is prolonged with epidural, spinal, or peripheral nerve blocks, in some cases up to 8 to 24 hours. Our listeners are well aware of the need to maximize non-opioid analgesia to decrease potentially inappropriate opioid use. Multimodal analgesia using non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agents or NSAIDs, acetaminophen, muscle relaxants, ketamine, gabapentinoids, and local anesthetics in addition to opioids has been shown to be effective in the management of postoperative pain. With the success of multimodal analgesia strategies, there is a desire to extend the duration of effect for bupivacaine. Traditionally, this has been accomplished through continuous infusions of anesthetics delivered locally via catheter and nerve blocks. Recently, novel delivery systems releasing bupivacaine over an extended period of time have been approved to produce a longer duration of effect for bupivacaine. Liposomal bupivacaine, Expirel, was FDA-approved in 2011 and is currently indicated for patients at least six years of age for post-surgical analgesia administered by infiltration and adults for post-surgical regional analgesia via interscaling brachial plexus block. 
Liposomal bupivacaine is formulated as bupivacaine encapsulated in proprietary multivesicular liposomes, which release bupivacaine over an extended period of time. In 2020, the bupivacaine implant, Zaracol, for use in adults for post-surgical analgesia following open inguinal hernia repair was approved. Zaracol is an inert, dissolving collagen implant delivery system, which also releases bupivacaine gradually. 2021 saw two approvals. Bupivacaine and meloxicam, Zinrella, was approved and is currently indicated in adults for post-surgical analgesia following foot and ankle, small to medium open abdominal, and lower extremity total joint arthroplasty administered by soft tissue or periarticular installation. Zinrelef is formulated as a solution, and it is thought that meloxicam's local inhibition of prostaglandins and effects on pH enhance the effects of bupivacaine. Bupivacaine depot, posamir, was approved in adults for analgesia after arthroscopic subacromial decompression. Posamir is formulated as a solution for infiltration, which forms a depot also releasing bupivacaine over time. There's been a lot of change in this space recently, and I'm excited to hear more about what's coming up. Why did Vizient want to look at this? Our expert panels typically involve subjects that would benefit from a critical evaluation of the literature in order to offer expert consensus-based guidance. And sometimes this will involve a review of medications that are associated with higher costs. And in the case of these newer long-acting bupivacaine products, all of these agents are more expensive when you're comparing them against standard local anesthetics in terms of just medication costs alone. Expiral, which was the first product to the market, has been consistently one of the top spend medications in the acute care setting. And in the most recent pharmacy market outlook that Vizian puts out, it ranked number seven overall in the acute care setting for top drug spend. To address concerns of our membership, Vizian actually previously looked at Expirel by itself and did an expert panel in 2019. And at that time, the work group acknowledged that there'd likely be a need to revisit this topic as newer agents came out, such as Carrie had highlighted with the Zen Relief and Zeracol and Posimir. Prior to starting the work on the current expert panel, Vizient conducted several surveys of its membership to assess interest in the long-acting bupivacaine products, primarily gauging interest around Zen Relief as we've heard more interest from our members about this particular agent in recent months. Depending on which survey you look at that we conducted, anywhere from about a quarter to a third of the respondents indicated that Zen Relief was either already on their formulary or being considered for formulary addition. But as a result of those findings, we made the decision to revisit the topic. And this time around, we focused both on Expiral and Zen Relief. That makes sense. And I can see why we'd want to address this. Tell me about the expert panel process. The expert panel process begins with an internal Vizient workgroup who's responsible for scoping out the different topics and deciding which projects that we pick. This workgroup, once we decide on a topic, will do the literature review and is responsible for facilitating and coordinating all aspects of the expert panel process. And this starts with defining the outcomes of interest that we want to look at through outlining our PICO criteria, which is basically just defining the population, the intervention, comparator outcomes, all those kind of things that you want to look at. Once that's established, we conduct a thorough literature 
review, uh, which also includes reviewing the references for the trials that we identified just to make sure that we're not missing any studies when we're doing our review. And within the work group, we have at least two pharmacists that are independently reviewing all the abstracts for inclusion and exclusion. And once all those studies of interest are identified, we'll then start putting together an evidence table. And this table is used to outline the key elements such as study design outcomes and also allows us to include comments on study strengths and limitations and also rate the quality of the study. And in terms of rating the quality of the study, we use the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force criteria for assessing clinical trials, which includes ratings of either good, fair, or poor. And then the internal work group is also responsible for determining the actual questions we want to answer or address during the panel, which includes both the comparative effectiveness questions, which are based on literature evaluation, as well as the expert opinion-based questions. Once we have the groundwork laid, the next step is really to recruit the external subject matter experts from within the Vizient membership. And this is done through advertising and a variety of sources. We send out communications to various groups, such as our member networks, performance improvement collaborative network, and pharmacy aggregation groups. We also put out announcements in a variety of our newsletters, such as our pharmacy monitor monthly newsletter. In order to apply to be part of the expert panel, clinicians basically just need to respond with an email expressing interest in being part of the panel and provide a CV. Any clinician who submits this email, we schedule an interview with one of the pharmacists on the internal work group. And then following the completion of all those interviews, the visiting work group will convene again to select the final participants for the expert panel. In terms of the actual expert panel process, this begins approximately two weeks prior to the two-hour live panel discussion. So before the actual panel meeting takes place, we have a pre-panel survey that's sent out to all the panelists with the questions separated out into the two key domains of comparative effectiveness, which is that literature evaluation component, as well as the expert opinion piece. The comparative effectiveness portion involves the critical evaluation of literature, where the panelists are provided evidence tables that we prepared when we were scoping out the expert panel. And then they are also using an ICER evidence rating matrix to rate the quality of evidence for each of the questions that we ask for that comparative effectiveness section. This ICER evidence rating matrix is a system that considers both the magnitude of the effect as well as the level of certainty. So the magnitude of the effect is described as either superior, incremental, comparable, or negative, while the level of certainty can be graded as either high, moderate, or low. So collectively together, that provides a total of 10 different possible ratings with that evidence matrix when the panelists are reviewing the literature. And all of these rating options are provided initially in that pre-panel survey for the panelists to select from. And then for the other domain, the expert opinion questions, these are initially presented as free text options on that pre-panel survey. Once we have the survey results completed, the internal work group will review and compile those results. And this is the primary basis that we put together for that two-hour panel discussion. And during the actual panel discussion, the panelists are able to discuss the rationale, provide insights into each of the different questions. And we try to narrow down, specifically for the comparative effectiveness portion, narrow down the ICER ratings to vote on in the post-panel survey. As our method of achieving consensus, we try to narrow that down to just two choices for the panelists to vote on. Following the panel discussion, we have a post-panel survey that goes out. These basically include similar or the same questions that we included in the pre-survey with narrowed options. And the goal is to obtain consensus through this repeated survey process known as the modified Delphi technique. And we define consensus as being greater than or equal to 60%. Finally, following the completion of the post-panel survey, the internal Vizient work group will then begin writing the white paper consensus document and will send the draft to the external subject matter experts panelists that they will review and have the opportunity to provide feedback and edits. And once a manuscript is complete, 
completed, that has the approval of the group. Then we send it on for formatting, editing, and then it's finally published on the Visiting website. I'm impressed by the amount of work, effort, and resources that go into this process. Carrie, what evidence did Visiant review? Studies evaluating adult patients undergoing knee and hip arthroplasty, colorectal procedures, lower abdominal surgery, and procedures using TAP or QL blocks were included. Literature evaluating Exparel or Zinreleth was evaluated. Administration by surgical site installation or, for Exparel, TAP or QL block was included. Due to relatively narrow indications, limited use by Visient membership, and recent approval of Posamir just prior to convening the expert panel, both Posamir and Zeracol were not included. Studies evaluating Exparel or Zinreleth versus an active comparator were assessed. Comparators were required to be given via the same administration technique as either Exparel or Zinreleth, i.e. both by infiltration or both by the same block technique. Outcomes of opioid utilization, as measured by reduction, avoidance, or time to first administration, analgesia, as measured by pain scores, post operative length of stay, and safety were assessed. The focus was on the immediate post operative period, and both acute care and ambulatory settings were included. As John mentioned, evidence tables were sent to panelists a few weeks in advance to review prior to convening. I'm interested to hear what you found. John, which questions did you review in the comparative effectiveness assessment? There were five comparative effectiveness questions that were evaluated by the panelists, and these included a separate review of both Zen Relief and Exparel and lower extremity joint arthroplasty, which ended up being specifically total knee arthroplasty, which was the surgery type for all the studies that were included there, as well as a review of Zen Relief and Exparel and abdominal surgery, and then finally a review of Exparel and field blocks. So in the 2019 panel, we did review Exparel and field blocks. We felt that it would be worth revisiting in this panel, so that's why we revisited that one separately and did not look at Zen Relief for that indication since Zen Relief is not indicated for use in nerve blocks. For the first four questions that looked at lower extremity joint arthroplasty and abdominal surgery, these were based on shared uses that would have potential overlap based on FDA-approved indications. Both orthopedic and abdominal surgery were chosen as these are surgery types for which we see a high utilization of Exparel on both the inpatient and outpatient setting based on Vizian's clinical database. Overall, consensus was obtained for four out of the five comparative effectiveness questions, and I would refer listeners to the white paper for full details on the consensus ratings and a complete discussion. We'll be sure to link to that paper in the show notes for this episode. Carrie, what did you assess in the expert opinion section? The panelists were then queried for insights on the real-world use of long-acting bupivacaine products in clinical practice. When asked to name the most important, clinically meaningful endpoints to include in trials, the consensus was around reduction in opioid utilization, length of stay, and readmission. Panelists discuss that although pain scores have utility, there is substantial variability in measurement and reporting. When asked what the key clinical differentiators between long-acting bupivacaine products are, the panel cited NSAID-related concerns, administration technique, concomitant use with other medications, and duration of action. In terms of which scenarios favor the use of one agent over the other, the group agreed for patients who should avoid NSAIDs due to intolerance or contraindication, 
or cases where direct application of anesthetic into the surgical site is beneficial, one agent could be preferred over the other. On the issue of extrapolating study findings to non-labeled indications, panelists agreed it is reasonable to apply results to additional similar procedure types. For example, outcomes in total knee arthroplasty could translate to total hip arthroplasty. Finally, panelists came to consensus that key operational considerations for the use of long-acting bupivacaine products include cost, reimbursement, patient and provider education, medication safety, preparation, storage, adherence to evidence-based use criteria, administration technique, and inclusion in enhanced recovery after surgery, or ERAS, and multimodal analgesia practices. Further details and discussion can be found in the white paper. I think it's important to get the expert opinion perspective, so I'm really glad you chose to include that in the white paper. How can these findings be put into practice? So I think some key considerations in putting this into practice include formulary decision-making in terms of which agents remain on formulary, which should be added, which remain non-formulary, incorporation into ERAS and multimodal analgesia practices, opioid stewardship, medication use evaluations, and evaluating your institution's real-world use and outcomes, as they can often differ from what is reported in trials. Great advice. Thank you for that. Carrie and John, thank you so much for joining us today to share your insights. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having me back on the podcast, Gretchen. And listeners, please join us for more Verified Rx podcasts. Subscribe today. Like us and send us your comments. We'd love to hear from you. Verified Rx is your prescription for success and is brought to you by the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence. I'm Gretchen Brummel. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.